Hey listeners and welcome to the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast. I'm your host Ben Hucker. If this is your first time tuning into the pod then we hope you enjoy today's episode. But what is this podcast all about? Well, we tell the stories of doers, thinkers and creatives on the Surf Coast in Australia. Why do we do it? We think the coast is a melting pot of creative minds from the city, the country and the coast and we wanted to get their stories out there. Each episode is packed full of insight and a good dose of practical hints and tips from our guests. We hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast brought to you by Stonker in well, hey guys, and welcome to episode number 58 of the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hucker. Got a, a couple of very special guests today, one all the way from the UK. So, very warm well welcome to the commercial director of Red Paddle Co., George Shalito. Hey, let's go. Good. And joining him as well, he's 2IC or equivalent in Australia. <laughs> I've just downgraded you. Yeah. Uh, Mr. James Bradshaw, so Managing Director of Red Paddle Co. Australia and Asia or just... Just Australia. Just Australia. Thanks just a big me. brown continent. Yeah. Good to have you, J- James and George. So I guess a special episode today because we're interviewing you both for starters. We usually do one-on-one interviews, but um, we're doing an information session tonight at Stonka, 5 to 8pm. Uh, that'll be in the past by the time you hear this podcast, so not really relevant, but you guys are in town and we thought we'd get you on the podcast for a chat because Red Paddle Co, goes without saying, is a very awesome company. So just wanted to get some background on Red Paddle Co. But um, first of all, George, as the commercial director of Red Paddle Co, I do believe that you guys export to, is it 50-odd countries? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 40 so distributors, 50 countries around the world. So. 40 distributors, 50-odd countries. So a big organisation. You're at the kind of the the top of the heap there in the UK. Do you want to give us an idea of um, your background, first of all, and then just tell us a little bit about the Red Paddle HQ in England and where you're situated? And... Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's cool to be here. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's all <laughs> first good. Of all, Welcome to Stocker Studios. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, this trip, so it feels great to finally be in Australia and hanging out with, with you guys. So, yeah, yeah, thanks for having us. But, um, yeah, so I guess a, a bit of my background is... I started, I started very much coming from a sort of performance-orientated windsurfing background, so I used to compete in wave windsurfing, um, and that's actually how I met the founder of Red Paddle Co, John Hibbard, so um, John was a professional windsurfer, you know, top, top of his game, competing on the world tour, uh, national champion in the UK, so um, him and I were very close in the competition scene, and also uh, had, had the same sponsors at the time, so yeah, I, as I was going through that world, I found myself loving also coaching, getting people on the water uh, as a real passion of mine. It's actually got just as much enjoyment getting people in, in you know, any age onto the water and just really getting that, that f- kind of feeling of freedom that they were getting and that, actually that kind of feeling of just feeling epic, I guess, um, onto the water. So um, during my sort of windsurfing days, I guess, we start, I started managing a waterboard centre which then led into retail um, and it was a family-run business and we developed that for years and it, yeah, it's the experience that I draw on every single day. We're working, they say, 50 countries worldwide. There's a huge amount of uh, differences around the world but there's also a huge amount of similarities when it comes to running paddleboard schools and windsurfing, sailing um, clubs and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that was a really fun time of life. Uh, but kind of, I always had this hankering, I guess, from a, from my windsurfing days to see what the the pointy end of sponsorship was like in the partnership side of things and the mm. fact that I was found myself constantly working to work with sponsors constantly working to I guess at that time you know time of life I wasn't 
on the best pay. So it was kind of like constantly searching for my next trip, constantly trying to work out how I could get some cash in the bank to be able to go for a three-month windsurfing trip to South Africa, for example. And um, I always wanted to know what the decision-making on the other side of that was. Mm-hmm. So um, I was fortunate enough to uh, end up working for a, the, one of the world's largest events and partnership agencies in London. Um, so I was fish out of water there for sure. I literally went from like... Working on the beach every single day, and then two days later, sat behind a desk five floors <laughs> up in a London apartment. Uh, space. Yeah, and I was like, suit and tie? <laughs> uh, no, luckily not. Ah. I went to the interview in a suit and tie, ah. and instantly got called out for being yeah. <laughs> someone from the beach. So, um, yeah, no, so that was cool actually. It was really good. I, I felt lucked out with that. I actually, as I arrived at the agency, it was about 25 person strong team, and they just set up a new business team. Um, and that new business team was me and uh, the head of new business. And that kind of tied me straight into the senior team. So my my three years there were working with the senior team in this agency. And it was just a massive learning curve. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the tempo change was just insane. I, I always thought I was busy and, you know, I had lots of emails coming in and stuff. And that was just a total pace change for me. And the fact that it was long days. Uh, so know, big clients there? Big clients, yeah. It was it, being in that space, you're working with the likes of... Uh, all the massive global rights holders of the world so you know the Olympic committees you've got new Champions League Europa League uh, Disney all of, the, all of the sort of big hitters I guess and then the brands that work with them so like Nissan Vodafone uh, Barclays Banks right. all that sort of stuff so yeah in the time I was there we did 40 odd uh, new business pitches um, right. and so yeah it was it was awesome. So you got pretty good at pitching. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know about pitching, but pretty good at PowerPoint. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah a lot When of, you say uh, agency, so, advertising agency or marketing yeah, agency? Kind of. So we were, with, we were embedded within a media agency, um, but the stuff that we did was all around um, events uh, and everything to do with that. So all the partnership negotiation that went into... You know, for example, Vodafone at the time when I was there, we were working very closely within Formula One with uh, fashion festivals globally. So we worked very closely with all their teams to negotiate all of those partnerships with the various rights holders around the world, but then also deliver all of their hospitality at all those events. Um, and so actually whilst I was there, the team grew to 150 people pretty quickly because suddenly working with this, this roster of global clients, uh, you suddenly found yourself having to skill up and team up sort of thing in there. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I always had my eye back on the back into the lifestyle mm-hmm. what I love. I found myself commuting from London down to to Cornwall, which is uh, sort of a five hour drive in the UK. Yep. Literally every weekend I was driving back, seeing friends, getting on the water, going surfing, going windsurfing, going paddleboarding. I just just was like ah, oh. frothing. Yeah, I just <laughs> I just need to stop this long drive. You know, yeah. I'm desperate to get out. And I've always called London a bit of a lobster pot, and the fact that you get there and then you kind of get into this world where it's just such a driven enterprise like mindset you know yeah. you just keep on wanting to go 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 the whole time you're doing like long days you're finishing mm-hmm. at two in the morning sort of thing you know and getting back into the office at six in the morning and your commute's an hour and a half across town and it's kind of like this crazy crazy world but it's addictive and yeah. you kind of find yourself just constantly, rush. Uh, yeah the rush and, and it's also the reason why I've got a lot of support is because there's a safety blanket in the fact that I worked for an agency and there was you know, 50 other agencies that if I wanted to go and get another job yeah. you, you can do that whereas as soon as you find yourself out of a city like that you suddenly pull yourself away from that limited city. options yeah, yeah. Um, I found that I lived in London for two years in uh, where did I live Ladbroke Grove yeah. so just near Notting Hill but I found the same coming back to Melbourne Melbourne felt like a ghost town yeah. in comparison yeah, so. yeah. It's a, I love Melbourne though <laughs> yeah. Every, everywhere we've been on this trip it's been pretty awesome hasn't it? I keep on yeah. saying to James I'm like oh man <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so cool to actually have cities 
with such an outdoor influence and the fact that it's yeah. all based on the coast, it's just, everyone loves getting outside and yeah. you know, it's, that's something to... It's very much an outdoorsy sort of environment. Yeah. yeah. If you look at most businesses in Torquay, Surf Coast, they've got some sort of tie-in with the ocean. Yeah. And even a lot of freelancers, photographers, you know, there's always some sort of focus on the ocean. So, yeah. It's it gives that balance, town. isn't it? It's such a strong it's kind balance. kind of built the town, the ocean, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. And I love, I love that concept that, you know, it's a, you can get up early and just get out, escape the chaos. And that's the kind of, that's that's my draw to Red Paddle Co. And, and yeah. paddleboarding is that sort of, you know, you can just get out and it's an experience, it's social, it's relaxed, it's just that reset of the central nervous system, if you like. And yep. then you can get into your job you can, and it's right there, you know. It's, yeah. it's a very lucky uh, positioning and situation to be in. And it's, yeah, it's just cool to be around so many like-minded people. <laughs> I can vouch for that because we've just been out in the water for a what, an hour and a <laughs> half sampling all yeah. the paddle boards. Swapping boards, enjoying just Ripping enjoying up on the 810 Compact and actually the boards we'll get into in a minute. So just that transition from... Life at the agency, how did you end up at Red Paddle Co? So uh, I was just fortunate enough, like, uh, you know, I was still friends with John at the time. Um, and I remember I was always keen, I was always kind of had one eye on Red because I knew it was going places. I could see that, I could see the huge potential. I'd used the kit throughout my time. Even before I moved to London, I was kind of around in that world, helping with prototyping and testing. And, you know, I was, I was very much... Uh, kind of on the sideline of Red Paddock I guess in those early early days and uh, so I always had one eye on it I always had a hope and a sort of wish that I would be able to get a job there and they started promoting for a job and I actually got a phone call from John I remember it so clearly because it started with so what do you do? <laughs> and I was like I don't really know what do you do? And then we kind of I went down for a day and we had a had a day-long interview actually one of the longest interviews I've ever had for anywhere um, I think half of it included surfing was yeah. 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 different type of interview yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a board meeting <laughs> proper board meeting um, and so yeah so yeah, I was fortunate enough to get a role in 2016 um, and the rest is history as they say yeah did you wait, what was your first role at Red Paddle Co uh, I can't imagine you so there was, oh, I was I think I was uh, and if the team are listening, don't hold me to this, but I'm fairly sure I was number five in terms of um, staff there for, yep. for Red, specifically for Red. At the time, we were kind of all sitting together with other distribution of brands, so, um, but specifically on Red, there was five of us. And then um, I think it was brand communications manager, I think. Uh, at, kind yeah. of, at the time, we had just done a huge amount of training videos, uh, B2B training videos, and just coming from my background, you know, it was a natural fit of just being able to go, right, got a good bunch of content, got a good bunch of assets, how do we yeah. get them out there in the world? What's the rollout plan? Um, and so I kind of, yeah, fell into that, but that quite quickly tied into email marketing, quite quickly working on the website um, and stuff like that. And you suddenly find yourself busy on all areas of the business. Yeah. And so then that's when the team starts to grow. Yeah, here we are, what, six years on, and there's a team of 35 of us now in the office. 35 now yeah. versus five, six years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, so growing so. exponentially. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an, and it's an awesome team as well. Where, where exactly is the HQ in? So it's in uh, just south of Exeter in Devon. So it's, yep. um, yeah, southwest of England. And, uh, yeah, we, to begin with, like I say, we're kind of sharing this warehouse space as an office um, with a... With, as part of our UK distribution and then quite quickly we found ourselves just sitting on top of one another so then we had a custom made uh, sort of development uh, HQ built I guess which was literally designed by our design team to just as a cool space to hang out James it is a there. very cool space like <laughs> I was actually saying to George on the way oh, driving down today it's like I, I sort of work and very autonomously here in Australia because that suits me 
uh, and one other. But I'm quite jealous of the environment that they work in. I mean, I after 40 or 45 years of working, you know, I haven't seen a workplace like that ever. It's just a really yeah. cool place. You know, I was on a Zoom call with, or Teams call, we have to call it now. Uh, with George you know, there, and then walking down the stairs with two little fluffy white dogs <laughs> and then they turn around right, and then one went ah! to the other one and then like, walking up like hey, this is cool because it's just like a fun environment just, yeah. and it, I think it's very conducive to producing quality work because everybody like everyone is happy like everyone so yeah it's um, it sounds like a dream job I've seen a few, yeah. a few videos on YouTube actually of the HQ so just yeah. wasn't sure exactly where it was but it yeah. does look amazing you've got a testing ground yeah, yeah. So there as well. the reason why we're based there actually is because we've got a river uh, sort of 50 minutes away at most. Um, and then on the other side of that, you've got a beach, one of the best surf beaches along the south coast, as well as lots of different smaller coves and, and access points to the water, like some reef breaks and that sort of thing. So it just offers up the perfect testing ground for a lot of the kit. But we also have, like I say, in the, in the actual office, we have a design suite and studio. So anything with a red square on it has been designed and tested in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, and then every component part to every component part as well, and that's often something that gets missed with red. And the fact that you know it, it's not like we just go off the shelf components either. Everything's stress tested. Everything's load tested. Yeah. Uh, everything's three D computer modelled, so we it's can pretty actually, harsh cold conditions too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing. Fifty countries worldwide. That kind of covers every corner of the globe. Yeah. And hundreds of thousands of um, customers. So you know. The, those hundreds of thousands of customers are taking them literally to any conditions, any environment, and you are going to have a reliable kit, performance kit, yeah. which just allows you just to actually do the thing that you're there for and just get out, enjoy it, enjoy the experience rather than being worried about you yeah. know the kit perform. And that's kind of what we're all about, really. So it just reminds me actually of that story you were telling me uh, before we went out in the water. So you were trekking through little river system there at yeah, one yeah, stage yeah, so do you want to just tell us about that yeah so that quite was quite a cool story that was the first um, that was the first time the seed was really planted for me and in, in the fact that uh, like I say I was kind of involved with it since 2008 um, but uh, I remember in 2013 I've got a picture of it it was April 2013 and it was the first time that I, I got the full pack in the 12 I think it was the first year 2013 James first year of the um, Explorers oh uh, the Explorer yeah uh... <laughs> the old, yeah. yeah, so it was, it was, it was twelve yeah. foot six, very rudimentary of what we now know as the Voyager, basically. Um, and I, I had it all in a pack. It was a first proper year of really nice padded backpack system on the backpacks, and yeah. I met up with a mate, and we went up to the top of like a source of a river, and we just we had to hike. So we had to hike through the woodlands, and we had to find the source of the river, and then we just pumped up these boards. And my friend hadn't really. Wasn't really massively into water sports at the time, uh, and we're just the most epic day. Just yeah. you know, going down this real shallow sections, lugging our kit about. <laughs> the durability of them just paid off because we'd never have been able to be up on hardboards in a million years, let alone get to the source, like actually get down the river. Yeah. It just wasn't deep enough, and we were just yeah, just having a really good day. We we took um, like hot pies in our bags as well, <laughs> so it was like a really like low low like. Come on, keep going. It was like, oh, should we pop a couple of beers in and just have some hot pies? <laughs> uh, yeah, four and twenties in the back. <laughs> yeah. and we just cruised on down. Eventually, the, the day ended as the sun was setting in the harbour, and uh, it's a really, like where we were. It's a real um, like close harbour. It's super small, um, and so it's 
but really amplified the atmosphere in there. And as we came in, we'd been joking ever since we hit the deep part of the water, imagine if we got down there and there was dolphins. Yeah. And I had no word of a lie. As we got into the harbour, we put this, just paddled in, stopped for a breather, and this, this little fin just came up next <laughs> to us. And then it was just... You got what you around. asked for. Absolutely, yeah. And, oh, it was, awesome. and, and that was a day where I just went... This is it. Wow, this is it. Like, you know, I've got a friend with me who's not really into water sports. Mm. We've been able to have the most incredible experience. Like, you can back then as well, no one was doing that. You know, now it's kind of a bit more familiar to people, but yeah. that wasn't a thing anyone did, especially on inflatable boards. And and they were just perfect for it. And then at the end of the day, I had to get on the bus because our car was at the top of the river. Yeah. You know, it was, it was probably about an hour and a bit drive on the bus. So it was, you know, a good old um, trek down. But yeah, yeah that, was, that was it. Sure. And that was when you were working at Red? That was before? Uh, so that was before. So I started before, in 2016, yeah. so that was three years before, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of why I started being like, yeah, my eyes on this yeah. company for sure. Because, yeah, I, I was just a massive... I was always a massive fan of it, but that was like when I became a true ambassador. Yeah. And actually at that point I started, whilst I was working in London, that was the point where I started paddling to work, which just blew people's minds. So our office used to be on the Regents Canal in London. Um, so it's just a, you know, a canal system, but it's massively underutilised and massively underused. Uh, and so I was just getting up at five in the morning, getting on a train over to Paddington, which is the sort of main station, but you can access the canal there. And then it was just, I can't remember what it was, like probably 8k, I would say, of just paddling all the way through the very heart of the city. Right. Completely new perspective. You know, go through Camden Markets, all the old school oh, wow. stuff, and then just ended up, and I had a bike, our bike rack for our office was on the edge of the canal, so I just used to get out, put it in the bike rack, Lock yeah. it up like it was a bike and go into the office, and it just people are like, "What is going on with this guy?" You know, fifteen hundred people working in this like <laughs> yeah. worker space, and I was just like rocking up in my boardies. So it was good. Yeah, that, I love that story. Is is that a big thing for Red to sort of drag you know non water users, non water people, I guess, into the brand? Yeah, yeah, actually, bang on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you couldn't summarize it better because you know especially for John actually and he's I've worked with him for years known him for years the number one thing he always goes back to is the fact that when you're windsurfing it's a very solo sport and the fact that when you're especially at high level of windsurfing you're going to the beach when no one else wants to go to the beach you know it's yeah. super windy sand's blowing in your face it's normally raining cold in the UK as well and so you're never going to turn that into a family or a social experience and and actually what you found is you were always seeking that sort of adrenaline hit in those, in that, especially in that storm conditions. And then when John started working on the paddleboard concept, one of the first prototypes, he took his uh, wife and kid at the time out on the, um, on the paddleboard. His kid must have been four, I guess. Yeah, about four years old. And he said he just spent the afternoon just drifting down with them on a current on this river, just yeah. chatting and, you know, watching his four-year-old develop and, and just like take it all in, just start loving the water at that yeah. point. And, Actually, it's suddenly, like, like he said, really, as, as windsurfers, as surfers, it shouldn't really fit with us because, you know, you, you want that high, high octane, like, adrenaline yeah. hit. But it's the opposite, you know, and it's that, it is that complete social experience. and Change of pace. Yeah, creating that sort of social element, being but able to introduce people to sport. I mean, that's happened yeah. with my wife and I. We, you know, she's a windsurfer, snowboarder, whatever. We had our daughter, you know, three years onwards. She'd we'd go paddling together, dog on one board. Daughter on the other, you paddle together, yeah. chat. Something you can actually do socially. I yeah. don't think there's any sport. As we like did before, a couple of hours ago. Yeah, I'm like, we're all out there having a chat, yeah. plus catching some waves. But as a family, you can do it as a family. Yeah. Because the kids don't have to paddle initially, but then they want to paddle yeah. and they will paddle. So they can have a little small paddle on the front of the board and just enjoy themselves. Yeah, that's actually one thing we 
uh, forget about sometimes is yeah, the family aspect and then mm. the dog as well, putting the dog on the front. So I can't go out paddling without the dog these days. She gets really upset. Oh, really? Yeah. Addicted? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's um, a bit about your background, George. So it's awesome to hear your story and kind of progression to our commercial director at Red Paddle Co. So congratulations on your success yeah, today. You. So thank that's you. awesome. But um, the man next to you, James Bradshaw, the doyen of water sports, New Zealand. Where are you known as the paddle guy, the stand-up uh, paddle guy? Christ, well, it's Christchurch paddleboarding in New Zealand. Christchurch so, paddleboarding. Yes. So you've had a huge career in water sports. Do you want to well, give us a bit of, more about your background? I've been into water sports and snowboarding and skiing since the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've seen it all, all the products? Well, I was I was actually in catering chef then, but I had my own restaurants, and so I've had my own businesses. And and then pushing through to 2000s, I was like really into really into windsurfing. Um, and then saw paddleboarding, this is in Perth, like uh, mid-2000s, I was like, wow, this looks pretty cool. Try this, did it a few times. And then had our daughter and was like, I want to go snowboarding, I want to go paddleboarding, I want to go windsurfing. Where can I do that all in one place? So we thought, well, have a look around the world and we found Christchurch in New Zealand. Went out there and went, no one's paddleboarding. Why is no one paddleboarding? So through a mutual contact, um, yeah, uh, I started, uh, he, he was a, the Red distributor at the time and this is back in 2008-9 when Red was literally right in its infancy. Had a chat to him, he said, I'll fly down. So he flew down from North Island, South Island, and I was like, wow, this is cool. I remember showing us people, and they laughed, and they said, that will never take off. And um, through that, I started a paddleboard school, which became the biggest paddleboard school in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was the second, for a gross small area, second biggest uh, red retailer in New Zealand. Right. Um, competed in the nationals on reds against calm race boards, and in the non-pro fleet, came third. Wow. Um, one other races against carbon race boards. What board were you on? The red? Uh, that was a 10-6 inflated <laughs> ride. Right. It was very choppy. It was a, yeah. And it's like, you wouldn't believe it, but we've got the photos and it was even in a, a French magazine that was and it's like, Le Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> red paddle something, something podium. I need to practice my French because I'll be there soon. Um, but yeah, so it, it just evolved and I could just see the involvement of the sport. How it just... And, and what George was talking about, it's about the community. Yep. It wasn't the, you know, whilst I competed and stuff, I didn't compete to be the elite paddler. I just competed to be have fun. And then I used to take a lot of my crew. We had 22 people up there because they wanted to do the 1K race because for them that was like, wow, I competed. 22 people at your from my, school? From, from my uh, community, yeah. Oh, yeah. from my community? Yeah, and I used to run... Well, you know, they were part of Christchurch paddleboarding community and we used to yeah. run... Um, trips all around and that's where I saw paddleboarding it was just like paddleboarding was that um, mm. it's community based lifestyle social not even sport I, I don't ever like to call it a sport because it's yeah. it's a it, it's it's its own being it doesn't fit into the sport mould it's, it's a lifestyle and it's just something anyone can do so I saw that and um, through that I'm, I'm doing the condensed version because George's was long and so on and uh through that got to know uh john and uh george and um through red and dave hackford who was one of the founder members working with uh um john and um i was lucky enough to get approached if i was moving back to australia and we just sort of had because we've been through the earthquakes in christchurch oh yeah it's gonna say earthquakes um, in christchurch that's another story yeah i've got waffle on about that for ages Mm. um 
So, you know, there was obviously still a lot of anxiety, a lot of doubt in your mind, even though we'd had rebuilds and stuff. Um, and then, so when the offer came up, it was like, wow, this is just like, a bit like George, it's just like, this is an offer too good to refuse. Like, you know, so we upped, moved back to Perth. And um, yeah, I'm loving every minute of it. Um, it's, yeah, I feel really, sounds a bit silly, but blessed to be working yeah. for it. You know, it's, it's just, it, it's just so much fun. It like really is fun, it, you know. It doesn't feel like work, even though it is, and sometimes it's really, really hard work, and you've got a, just so many different challenges. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not every day that you're doing the same thing, but sometimes it is, but generally it's not. But like you know, we get to meet great people like yourself. You get to go surfing. You get to. We did a press trip the other day. We've got a, a conference run by Who next week right. uh, through another arm of our business. So it's just like every day is different, you know. Just I saw you guys were paddling around in Manly the other day, was it? Oh, yeah, Watson's yeah, Bay? with uh, Dean Gladstone from yep. Bondi Rescue. Yeah, I'm a yeah, daughter, I'm okay. best dad in the world now. Because my daughter's just like, <laughs> I can't believe you're like, yeah, I'm like, like doing a little photo. Um, so yeah, so um, that's through our, uh, another arm of the business, like a, a rescue board business. I was actually saying to Chris, we went out before, so Chris was on the foil. Chris is going to be working in the, in the shop over summer, actually, as our foiling expert, resident foiling expert. And I was saying, Chris, these guys are living the dream. Like, they're in Sydney the other day. They're in Torquay today. They're off to Adelaide yeah, tomorrow, paddling around. I mean, you probably run on zero sleep, but... Yeah, yeah I'm quite that's how it goes. <laughs> I've got a young five-month-old and two-year-old at home, so I run on no sleep anyway. Yeah, you're used to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm on an international time zone. <laughs> yeah, I haven't slept for five days. <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, people always go, oh, you guys are so lucky, you're so lucky. But I think, you know, if you work hard, the luck comes. And you know, I think everybody within that red, like, you know, retailer base, because we don't look as red as you know, we're red, you're stonker, or we're red, you know, whoever. It, it's one big family, and you, everyone needs everyone. We all work together and, you know, working in the same direction. So yeah. it's kind of... Um, yeah, it's just lucky to have, you know, to be able to do this. And That's one of the things I loved about Red when we took over Stonker, that family aspect. That's been kind of drummed into us from day one. Yeah. Family, yeah. community. So, yeah, that's good. So, I was going to ask, so speaking of challenges, you know, your dream job, all that, it's all going good. There must be some tough days, I guess. So, we'll start with you, George, and then you, James. But what is the difficult part of the job? Other than lack of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Question, I mean, the difficult, the difficult part of the job is, um, I mean, there's been a lot of challenges over the last couple of years for obvious reasons, you know, and I think the, the pandemic was massive because it, like James said, we see everyone as a family and actually we, we set up originally through distribution networks to allow us to grow at scale globally. Um, and, but at the same time, the, the main reason for doing that was to allow a human element behind the brand. No matter where you are in the world, you can really go, you know, as anyone can go into a shop that stocks red and connect with a genuine expert who knows what they're talking about. But then the pandemic hit and it literally overnight put a stop to that pretty much everywhere in the world all at once. And it was the definitely the most uncertain, uh, unknown time. There's no one you could turn to, no mentors you could talk to about like oh, what happened, you know. What, what's the process here and I remember literally waking up one morning and I, I, it was it was two weeks before I was off meant to be going off to have our first first child and uh, I remember waking up one morning it's been like that's it then but every shop pretty much within the space of a couple of days especially in the northern hemisphere was just closed 
mm-hmm. and and with no certainty what was coming next. Yeah, like, nothing. No, no I, one had a clue what was going. Yeah, it was terrifying for everyone. Yeah. yeah, and it was, and I know it affected every business in the same ways. But when you're sat there and your day to day job is communicating with all these people that you know so well, that there was no advice that you could give them you know wow. there was there was no certainty that you could give them my, my job is ultimately trying to provide that, that that certainty i guess yeah and that was um that was a weird old day and uh and weird old few weeks you know and i and then as as it evolved and i guess it quite quickly became clear that shops would be able to start operating again you know and it wasn't going to be the end of the line um from a retail perspective at all and and that was huge and then actually we got an overwhelming response from our community around the world and new people coming to the community because um, for the first time ever, we were getting emotional, real emotional feedback. You know, we were getting uh, people who were using paddle boards as their sole exercise right. for that. You know, for, yeah. we, you know, I don't know what it's like over here, but we could only go outside for an hour a day. Yeah, very um, similar because you're getting the water and you're by yourself. Yeah, you don't have to be near people. So. Yeah, and so it was it was allowed. I mean, originally all the beaches were shut, and then eventually they opened up, and people get on the water. But there was also the waterways, the rivers, and lakes and stuff that people get on. And but people were literally writing in to thank us for making something that almost saved them. <laughs> like you know, from actual the mental health benefits, the blue mind benefits of just immersing yourself out of the like going offline, getting away from the digital stress and the pressure, and putting themselves into a place where they could just almost ground themselves and go, oh, life's not too different when you're away from all that. Um, Because when you find you're actually on the water, like you're paddling, like today, you know, we've obviously got a pretty busy schedule coming up. You don't think about that at all. You just think about when's that next paddle stroke or if you're out in the waves, when's that next little wave coming or I'm going, what's around that corner of that river? Is there like some little cave I can explore? You just don't think. Because it it, just, the water seems to clear your mind. So yeah, so that was, I mean, that was a massive challenge. And then, I mean, day to day, you know, COVID aside, I mean, that's been massive for everyone. So I think really being being the world leaders in inflatable paddleboard and inflatable tech, it's applying our, I guess, the, the everyday challenge, especially in my role, is making sure that we're applying our expertise in the, in the right way to develop the sport in the right way. In the fact that it's very easy to get drawn into certain amount, certain feedback from specific groups or trying to do something that doesn't really fit with the brand and the amount of times that you just have to constantly check, right, who is this for and is it us? And we always have to ask ourselves, who is it for, is it us? Because there's so many things that come and go and it's so easy to try and react really quickly. But ultimately, our our remit is to to never compromise. I mean, it's written everywhere. That is actually your slogan. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's never compromise. And, and, you know, that's the hardest thing. It's like, right, what do we stand for? Is it us? And that challenge is then almost, where especially when you launch a new kit, it almost becomes like a bit like a beauty pageant. And the fact that yeah. you, we work really closely, you know, we've got our whole design team in the office, we've got all of our marketing team in the office, we've got all of our operations team, all of our customer service team. So all of that insight, all of our sales teams are feeding into it from around the world. Mm. All our insights feeding into our design hub. And we're getting all these prototypes, we're doing all these designs, but no one sees them. Yeah. <laughs> so you're literally every year when we're doing a new product or whether it be a whole range review or just individual product injections, you have no idea yeah. what the responses are going to be until it goes live. What is life? There's no going back from that. You know, you can't go, oh, no, just change it. Yeah. Like, there's nothing you can do. Even after 15 years, when you hit the button, you still still get nervous. So there's always, there's new, always, new always a uh, hold your breath moment in the fact that it's... it's like, oh, have we stuffed this one up? Is this yeah. the year when... And I don't think it, it, the thing is, 
you're, you, we always go to market knowing we haven't stuffed it up in the fact that we always know that our testing is right. Yep. But, but it takes time for the reasoning to get out there into the world as to why we did certain things or how we did certain things or, you know, and it's very, also the other thing that you're constantly balancing is your impact on the planet. And that, and that responsibility to reduce your resource, reduce your... And, you know, the amount of times people go, oh, well, why didn't you do this sort of design? Or why didn't you do that? It's all of that is comes back to, well, if you if you do... If, if you in any way reduce the longevity of the product or the lifetime of the product, mm. if you are putting things on that are temporary, which ultimately reduces the value for that customer in their board that they just bought, yeah. it's not worth it. But... The initial, imp- you know, the initial impetus when you see something new is you want a whole new fresh design. But actually, yep. these products are, the mo- I would say, probably one of the most technical products to make in any of the outdoor sports because they're filled with air. So yeah. you're trying to create shape and performance out of something that you can't see in trouble. You can't actually <laughs> manually, like here, we're sort of seeing in a, a revamped shaping studio. You sit there and watch guys shape, and you can yeah. actually just... Work you know, on it, work yeah, on it. Yeah, like sand it down to that nth degree where... Like yeah. George said, it's just a, it's a different beast. I imagine hundreds, thousands of iterations to get it right. Yeah, actually, actually, do you want to just before we get to your challenges, James? But um, do you want to touch on the MSL technology and the layer? Yeah, so actually, from a well, sampling point of view, basically from your big box, uh, yeah, oh, foam I mean, sup that comes straight out of a humid, hot factory in China, and last, yeah. you know, made for landfill versus made for made to <laughs> yeah. last. It's yeah, uh, made for landfill is the correct <laughs> correct phrase. There. Yeah, it's um. Do a couple of sampling comments. Yeah. We're not made for landfill. You just got it. <laughs> Go with the negative. We're not. <laughs> it's um, uh, interesting to say, actually, just go back to your thing on you know, the sampling. Actually, what we try to do is, because we're designing every component and because we're designing off the heritage that we have, we don't actually have to do a huge amount of samples. We will normally do three rounds of sampling. And by three rounds, there may be a couple of iterations of each product within that sampling round, but we aim always to have the finished product by iteration three. Otherwise, you're just creating unnecessary waste. You know, you're trying to rush through sampling. You're trying to you're trying to create a board to suit too many needs because you you know you're getting, you're just producing multiple multiple different products. Really, what you should be trying to do is pinpoint one. You know, <laughs> like work your way yeah. to the the guiding bridge. Compact's a fantastic example of that. that. That board came out of the brief of how do we reduce the carbon footprint of a paddleboard mm-hmm. rather than how do we make the smallest paddleboard on earth? The answers are the same. <laughs> in fact, it resulted in the compact range for us. But that came from the, the one that actually inflatable paddleboards in terms of when you're shipping them around the world are so uh, economical compared to hardboards. Yeah. So they're unbelievably economical when you're shipping around the world and also when you're shipping them around in countries to end customers, you know, if you bought them and you, you put them in a DHL lorry or yeah. other courier firms are available. Um, but the compact, you can pretty much double that, that, those boards in a container. So mm-hmm. you're instantly reducing that carbon footprint by, by a huge amount. And so then, then, as I said, the outcome was actually a really cool small board. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't necessarily about how can we no. surf... No, so Two or three, four not all, the brief doesn't always come from board design. It yeah. comes from 
how can we test ourselves? And that test leads to new innovation. If, I think it's actually the best way to break the mould. Because if you just constantly go, how do we be- make this ball better? You don't ask the bigger questions, which make the ball better. Yeah. Um, you're just constantly trying to, like I say, refine it. Actually, a very good p- potential piece of kit. Um, you guys back yourself up with a, a five-year warranty. So when you say five-year warranty, you're not lying. It's a five-year warranty. It's a five-year warranty, yeah, yeah. yeah. So five-year I warranty read a stat too that your return rate is like half, half of 1% over yeah. five years. Yeah, so. yeah. So that kind of ties into the whole MSL question as well. What, what is MSL? The question really, I guess, is everything wraps into Tech Air. So Tech Air is, you can't put your finger on what it is. Tech Air is our design team, basically. It's, draw, it's all of our history and heritage. Work, but more than that, it's our production partners as well. Because to make these boards, you have to be so experienced. You have to be literally a master tailor because you're cutting material. It's a textile product at the end of the day. It's yeah. not a shaping product. It's not a block of foam that you're trying to carve shaping like yeah. you've touched it on. So... You're, the team that are making it have to have to believe in everything that we do mm-hmm. um, from a production point of view. And so tech care is everything we're talking about, you know, five-year warranty. The reason why we can back it is because, one, we've designed it, but also we know who's made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know everything that's gone into that. So we work exclusively uh, with a company called Henkel, for example. No one knows who Henkel is. I didn't know who Henkel was. Henkel's the world's leading glue and adhesive manufacturer. Right. Um, but what that means is we create sub-specific adhesive, unlike anyone in the world. So it's designed to go from a, through a huge range, you know, minus temperatures all the way up to very hot conditions, um, to extend the lifetime of the board and to make sure that, and actually try and reduce adhesive wherever possible because adhesive makes things heavier. There's there's potential room for error, um, so we try to do that in every stage, and that's why, like I said, you know, zero point five percent warranty rates globally. Yeah. Um, I've got a good example out there actually of a. Big, but I won't mention the brand, but um, it's only two years old. The lady's ridden it three or four times, and it's split at the seam. And I've tried to glue it back together and repair it for her so I can get back in the ocean, but impossible. Yeah. Because these things have got so much pressure inside. I mean, if you pump one up to 15 psi, that thing's hissing straight away. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot to be said for adhesive and glues. And yeah. I mean, the, the I mean, the best way of putting that is, you know, if you pump a board up to 18 psi, for example, like. I asked um, Phil, our head of design, a few years ago, like, God, give me something to explain just how much pressure is in that board, how well it needs to be built. And so he went away and did some maths and did some, some workings. And basically, on the, especially on the rail tapes, per square inch on that, you can effectively, it's the equivalent of hanging a land cruiser in, in Australia. It's probably the best equivalent. He's a transit <laughs> van in the UK, but it's probably the similar, similar weight of every square inch. That's, so when you listen to a board, your board will literally be like screaming its head off because yeah. there's so much pressure in there. It's such a solid container. Actually, you know, bike tyres and things, car tyres, you're putting a lot of PSI but it's a tiny, it's a tiny volume of yeah. air. Whereas, you know, this is a big container of air mm. and like I say, you're trying to shape that air at the same time. So yeah. you've got to make sure that the way that board's built is not only really flipping well, but also shaped and then cut and glued in exactly the right way to give you the characteristics that you're looking for. Um, so yeah, our 0.5% warranty rate is massive for us because ultimately we're making products that can't... The, the products aren't uh, you know inherently eco-friendly like so much in the outdoor mm. world. So what you do, you have to make them last as long as possible whilst taking all the necessary steps to reduce any other impacts. So, you know, the board, the board factories are almost, I think it's like 98%, so pretty much 100% um, waste-free. So all the offcuts that we use from all of our drop stitch material, our MSL material, uh, our rail tapes all go get ground down into trainer soles and mm-hmm. get put into running trainers and that sort of thing. All of our packaging is uh, compostable, biodegradable or recyclable. Um, and actually a lot of that isn't printed on. 
and, and that's the other thing is the, the amount we can reduce the printing the more recyclable it becomes so if yeah. you've got a piece of paper for example that's 100% recyclable because it's, it's a natural material yep. so you can just go right recycle that down as soon as you start ink, you're putting inks and stuff on it that's a it belongs into what's known in our world as a technosphere so a man-made material so you introduce those and suddenly you reduce the how recyclable that piece is you know you're going to start creating waste at that point so we try to reduce the amount of uh, printing the amount of adhesives on the on all of our packaging, all of our accessories range. So all of our changing robes, all of our bags, all of our waterproof kit bags, all of that stuff is mm. all um, like uh, glue free. So all of our packaging, all just into. It's bizarre. Like if you, I mean, you, you'd know Ben the um, water bottle container. Yep. It, it's basically origami. That's how it's together. There's no oh, glue right. in it, and it still spins me out every time I look at it. I'm like, how does it stay together? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, so it, we've put a huge amount of time into that because, like I say, if not inherently, the product isn't that. So, and we we're continually trying to work on ways that we can make it. So, our design for disassembly methodology, for example, is something we've always had in our pumps. It's it you know single chamber pumps back in the day were, mm. I guess, acceptable because the sport was so small. Yeah, and it was so early on you just needed to get air into the board yeah. but it was small it was a tiny amount of people well, padding it saying so. before we had blisters yeah. after yeah, yeah blisters yeah. on your hands <laughs> also weirdly I was thinking about that on the water tiny water. little handles weird like um, do you remember them like rubs on your fingers because yeah. the pressure gauge used to rub against your yeah knuckles. I used to pump up when I before I saw the light I'd pump 25-30 boards up <laughs> using that before like when I had first had the business and I had 20 boards in the fleet you didn't need a gym oh, membership it would kill me like absolutely kill me like I don't know how people do it now I see no, people like, pumping I boards up with single pumps and I'm just like I actually used one the other day um, for the first time and oh I, I was like I don't know how I don't know like yeah, I forgot my pump when I went down. <laughs> so I just borrowed someone's and I was like, I almost went home and just got out because I thought this is ridiculous. Yeah, that's another key point. Actually, the Titan Two, the magical pump. So yeah. the capacity on that thing is just amazing. Yeah, half the time. Easy I mean, half the time. I mean, I mean, actually, the Titan Two is faster now. So we used to say half the time, yeah. half, the, half the energy for the Titan One, but the Titan Two is, I mean... Well, I've got a story in one of our... I was running a, doing a show in Perth, one of the retailers there, and uh, there was a guy... He's a big guy, solid guy, does a lot of um, gym work or whatever. He pumps it up in uh, one of our boards to 15 PSI, 39 seconds using a time. 39 seconds, wow. I've done it in two minutes <laughs> and 34 seconds. And I was like, that, you know, that's good. I'm about six minutes at the moment and I have to stop halfway through to catch up. <laughs> I reckon four to six minutes is, is, is yeah. good, but yeah, 39. So, yeah, yeah that, that shows how much volume you can get out of this pump. Like, you know, you, you couldn't do that with any other pump. And, yeah. and actually, the single chamber pumps are all sealed. So as soon as, as soon as, uh, say, a normal turnout, so tiny, like you know, if you imagine like a small coin, that or like yeah, actually looking at the bottle tops over there from our bit, yeah, <laughs> it's the size of that, you know. And uh, if that goes, the whole thing has to go to landfill, and it's right. all mixed. So you've got metal in there, you've got different versions of plastics, you've got mixed plastics as well. So nothing from that's recoverable. Um, so we've always been, the, the pumps have to be maintained. They're a mechanical piece of kit so that you have to be able to maintain them like you'll be able to maintain a car. You know, there's, there's moving parts, there's grease involved, there's lubricants that needed to be updated up yep. years and years and years to come. But also if you blow out a valve, you can just replace it. So, you know, you're suddenly extending the lifetime of that product forever. You could keep on using a Titan pump forever. That's the aim. And so now we're starting to draw that into all of our like designs as much as we can. And that's yeah. our biggest design brief at the moment is how do we bring design and disassembly into the boards themselves so it's not just a pump it's not just a 
not just a pump that sort of gets manufactured. No, what no, no, this no. hundreds of hours of thought and research that's gone. Yeah, that time too is yeah. I mean, it was one yeah. of our biggest design challenges because we the molds were all designed by us and we had all the molds in our in our uh, HQ, you know, in the design room, just yeah. endless situations. And that was cool because because we got three D printers, you know, we can do ultimate like endless situations of those stuff because the stuff that we use in three D printing can just be smelted down again, so it's super yeah. recoverable. Um, so you can afford to. That's where you know you can sample endlessly because you can create lots of different samples and get, get it absolutely right yeah. to reduce and the internal flow of that pump is insane there's no hookup points so mm. the air just flows continuously whereas most pumps have like little trip corners and stuff which squeeze the air and create choke points in the pump so you're yeah. not getting as much volume as you could or as much power as you could so yeah it's, yeah there's a lot to be said for the pump and sustainability <laughs> obviously a huge focus it almost sounds like that's the biggest driver versus yeah, well, yeah, I think, I think it, it has to be. I mean, yeah. uh, we don't really talk about it much because everyone should be doing it. And, and yeah. you know, if you if you're cashing in this world by not doing that stuff, I just think, what yeah. are you doing? You know, like, like in, I've got kids, young kids. You've got young yeah. kids. James yeah. got young kids. You know, they're going to be the, they're going to be the ones who hold us accountable in the years to come. And we're all yeah. playing in the ocean, in the water, yeah, or the true, beaches, yeah. or rivers, and they're the areas that are, are going to be affected. Yeah, so you much know, different plastics and yeah. You want your kids to be able to explore the places that you explored don't yeah. you, in the future. So, uh, we'll touch on your challenges, James. Well, so, you kind of stole most of them, really. <laughs> like, I was sitting there going, oh, great. It's left you with uh, nothing. Basically, it's the challenge, I mean, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do my own one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, within Australia, obviously, the tyranny of distance is very hard. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't matter where you live, it, it's to be able to get out and see everybody and do everything that you want to do and you want to help and you want to create events and you want to do demos but it's just it's, it's just really extra hard. distance too in Perth. yeah 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 it's just it's I mean, if you live in brisbane there. it's the same if you lived in sydney you could it'd be hard to get to adelaide no it's just it's really hard but one thing that is i find really hard is then it's kind of a it's there's so many like we talk about the titan pump there's so many companies that Oh yeah, we've got the best pump. We've got this, mm. and it, it through all their beautiful um, websites, and it, it just looks great. But you actually know it's not. You know, you've been there, you've tried it, and it's like this is not even half. But it, it's yeah, it's just us getting the message across that you know, using that sustainable message, using the actual performance message, using it, just saying, look, we are we are the best by far. You know, yeah. but without sounding that sort of crowing too much about it because you know without sounding too pig-headed or whatever just yeah. wanting to so staying down to earth yeah yeah it's the best product just, but yeah yeah we, I mean I know I mean I've been using red since 2008 I yeah. use a lot of brands I'm, I'm, I surf a lot I do lots of things I snowboard a lot I do and it's just like I wouldn't use any, any other board than red basically yep. so uh, I understand you know, what they're all about and the ethos and it's just it's just really hard when some you see other things and people go oh yeah but they're much, they're much better or they're the same as you it's like well not oh yeah it is because it yeah. says it on the website it's like well it's not and this is where you know Must valued retailers yeah. come, you know, come in because people can come into our shops and, and try that and making sure that we've got all the stuff there that um, is the hardest part so far is conveying that sustainability aspect because some people yeah. just you know they come in and they got the credit card they just want a bargain type thing yeah that's yeah, well, it's fine because everyone you know but it's not about the pricing it's just like it really annoys me that this, these companies profess to do this 
and they don't. No. So they're actually lying to their to the people. They're, they're they're selling something that's not fit for purpose. Yeah, and it, that, that's kind of what frustrates. It's more of a frustration than a challenge. It's actually a personal frustration. So I, I had a snowboard shop in New Zealand as well, and you, people would come. Oh, I can get this. It's like, yeah, well, that board is like just a floppy piece of plastic. Yeah, and when you you know after three runs, you just, it, it's gone. It won't be very good. Yeah. Um, but it's cheap. The number of Chinese pop-out surfboards that we fixed here in the in the store yeah. is amazing. So. so, so it kind of goes back. I, mean, I don't dwell on it anymore. But it goes back to what George was saying with our our technology. There's so much thought. And I said, if you ever go into England, you know, pop into the to the yeah. um, HQ because you just go in there and it's just this seamless place that you can see. There's just these ideas are just like you can almost see like a little thought thought ideas yeah. come out of people's heads it's just like <laughs> look at this look at this we do this we do this and then they're all kind of put into this melting pot and you just get this fantastic sort of yeah. product that has come out I'd say I've seen the evolution since 2008 and I mean to be honest in 2009-10 those boards are amazing I'm just saying I, I paddled whitewater rivers in New Zealand like Matukituki Hawio Clutha Clarence Rikaya all these rivers you know with not much thought on, on safety, but we were just going down with grade yeah. three rapids and whatever. These boards are getting trashed, hitting rocks, and this is in the early, early, early days. days. Yeah. And they were great. What they a place to test some red puddle mm, boards. Yeah. 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 Gosh. You know, I've surfed them in Fiji and Yeah. Yeah, so I I, I kind of know I know, I know their strengths and, and yeah. You know point danger to the list now too. Yeah. So, point danger. I mean uh, just, to, just to pick up on what you're saying there, James. Uh, there's a difference, I guess, between actual innovation and supplier innovation, mm-hmm. and a lot, a lot of what you find in any industry, you know. And I, I actually realised this until I started working for Red that there's very few experts in each industry that lead the R&D, that lead the charge on innovation, that actually have genuinely creative ideas. And and so much of that creative ideas we make, we prototype, and never get seen because it doesn't work. And like yeah. you know, double chamber technology is a fantastic example of that. We created double chamber, chamber technology so early on. But the worst thing you can do with inflatable boards is cut holes in them because we're talking about boards just, here, not yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. not pumps. pumps yeah. 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 And so the worst thing you can do with a inflatable paddleboard is add more holes and more chambers because ultimately you're creating more weak points, more rails, more stuff to do. So we, we put that you know that project to bed quite a long time. Started working with life saving authorities to show them our testing, show them our understanding and, and methodologies. Um, but that's kind of become a thing, and then actually the theory starts to take hold because in practice. You know, in theory, it works. Like, oh well, if one chamber pops, I've got another one. The easy yeah. thing is, don't <laughs> don't make a board that, that has that failure option. You know, make yeah. it strong. Um, so, and yeah, I never really realised that actually a lot of the innovation is driven forward by one or two companies in the whole industry, and then the the suppliers at the other end basically then start to innovate and offer it out to their various clients and customers. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's phenomenal. I, I, I kind of feel a bit guilty standing here doing this podcast because everyone in our team could do this podcast. Like yeah. They're all so good in their own field. Like That's what I love about these guys is the fact that yeah, every yeah. single one of them... Remember the design here. guy on YouTube, his knowledge is just crazy. Yeah. Is that know, Phil? Phil? Shout out to Phil. Shout out to Phil. Phil is... Good you designer. Could, you'd be here for days with Phil. Yeah. I, mean, I, <laughs> I sit in the office and just stare at him with my mouth open. <laughs> and often he stares back at me going, you're right. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, his knowledge on um, uh, yeah sustainability... Uh, he, he actually now does a huge amount of consultancy outside of Red as well, um, working with all of the local brands down in the southwest and uh, oh, yeah. creating a, almost like a uh, eco directive for the whole of the southwest of England. Well, so he's, he's got a, a um, well, you'd be able to say a PhD in 
Yeah, I mean, his whole life was studying for yeah, uh, but in sustainable yeah, in sustainability, yeah. And then the yeah, one of our other designers actually, he was he did his whole um, dissertation on greenwashing before greenwashing was even like a name, like you know, it was known in the sort of product design world. It wasn't yeah. known out outside of it, and so he did his whole dissertation on it. And it, yeah, nothing. More. I remember him talking about the uh, the life cycle, the f- yes. they got the full circle. Yeah, yeah, circular yeah. economy of product circular design, economy. So. Yeah. yeah, and that's where the yeah. sort of biosphere, biosphere technosphere, yeah, yeah. yeah, the two mix. Yeah. Well, speaking of innovation, so so much innovation and technology to date. What's the future hold for Red? Any anything you can tell us uh, with regard to the twenty twenty three range? You know, what's different? What might be different in the future? So, it's is there anything left? There's <laughs> no, always. Oh, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's trying to work out how to pace it because yeah, we we always are working on something. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, from a twenty twenty three perspective, the, we were just out on it today. The A ten compact is just you know the, like it's kind of I guess the pinnacle of what's happened in the last fifteen years. Started as a rudimentary product, you know, very early on, uh, basic version of what we now know. And I often say, if you had two, if you had a two thousand eight red paddock board and a two twenty twenty three um, red paddock board standing next to one another, and they could talk to one another. They wouldn't be able to understand one another because they they talk completely different languages from different eras, different times. You know, even though they might look the same, you put air in them, the the DNA is the same. They're brothers or sisters, yeah. <laughs> but they are quite distant relatives of one another yeah. now. Um, and so the eight tens are really, really, you know, like the shining light of that, and the fact that it shot folds down so so small, it's so so light, yeah. but carries all of that durability, safety, reliability that we pride ourselves on. You can put that in your overhead luggage, couldn't you? I, well, that was always the aim. I don't know. Well, I'm taking one compact, like yeah, the nine six compact in overhead. Um, I got refused one time. Yeah, uh, I think you're probably always riding that risk of getting refused and then putting it in the uh, yeah. in the hole. But it's it is so small, and I mean, then you get out on the water today, and it, I mean, it was such a fun board out there. Um, the swell that we had today, yeah, you guys were ripping it up. I got a bit of work to do on the A10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um, only 28 inches wide, so. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's definitely one of those boards for someone who's been paddling for a while. type shape. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it because it's one of those things that I can put in the car if I'm going anywhere and yeah. I know there's some water, but I don't know if I'm going to go paddling. Yeah. So, and I can't get a uh, shower there. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. lose any brownie points with the yeah. family because it's just, oh, I'm just in there, boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. As if by magic. How did that get in there behind the seat? Well, that's uh, good to hear. So a lot more to come. Yeah, huge amount. And, and, and like I say, all the DFD, all, and, and this year we've got the limited edition boards. You know, we're, as a brand, we're putting profits oh. into marine conservation. So I love the oceans. I mean, we got two seconds to quickly talk about that, or the Roy Limited. Or... Yeah, I mean, the Love the Oceans project that we do is, I mean, in a nutshell, is just we do huge amounts of work with so many scientists and specialists in the, in the field. But that's just like the the example of that, and the fact that it's a it's a limited edition board, only five hundred in the world. Um, it's designed by a Mexican designer after we did a uh, competition a global competition everyone can enter it we had kids entering you know, hand-drawn designs of their favourite yeah. like board <laughs> specialist product designers I everyone. did say this on social media yeah and there's thousands of designs and then we we, sh- we shortlisted them based on what was actually possible yeah. because of, obviously you know not all yeah. design like I was saying you can't just print anything on a board because <laughs> it ends up getting you know it, it, impacting its longevity and things so we shortlisted it and then we gave it to Love the Oceans. And Love the Oceans is a marine conservation charity based in Mozambique. It's a hugely important part of the world from a water conservation point of view. They do a huge amount of research with whales um, and actually, and on coral reefs and paddleboards, replaceable paddleboards, basically the best uh, vehicle and vessel for doing that study because they have very little disruption into the wildlife. So that means that 
you can actually get really up close without affecting the natural behaviour of the wildlife. So you can yeah. really understand what's going on, what the differences are. But alongside that as well, and the reason why we love working with Love the Oceans is because they also do a huge amount of grassroots programmes, working with all the local communities, and especially school kids actually, to deliver swimming lessons, water safety, drowning prevention uh, activities, which just hopefully will perpetuate itself in the future to allow those local communities to start really taking hold of those concepts that they're introducing and, and really start to drive that protection of the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a really cool thing to be doing on our 15th anniversary. It's, you know, again, it's just one of those... Sort 15th, of, yep. Yeah, so 2023 is our 15th oh, you anniversary. you said 50th there no, 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 15th. Well, yeah, you, I mean, <clears throat> the, the sort of experience probably now goes well over 50 years and the amount of people who've been working in yeah, the field and true. the combined experience of it, so... Yeah, no, it's always all to play for, and there's plenty more to come. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, you guys are the star of the show tonight here at Stonko this evening, so we've got to get you out there and chatting to uh, the customers, Stonko customers who've come in to have a look at the red paddle boards. So, we'll get you out there, we'll finish, I don't want to cut this short actually, I'm enjoying this chat, so there's so much detail and so many big initiatives that you guys are working on, but we talk a lot on the podcast about people who make that decision to sort of go after something that they're passionate about. Um, got any parting words of advice for those that, you know, might be just sitting on the fence or fearful of, you know, what what might happen next with regards to something they're more passionate about? Oh, ah, you should go first this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> Got to switch up right no, at the end. No, I don't no. want to steal your gold, you know. <laughs> we'll give you no. some time right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, going back to when, right at the beginning, what George said is um, when he was teaching, and I've done lots and lots of teaching, and I have taught, I mean, thousands of people and taken them on the water. Not one person's gone, geez, that was a crap time. Mm-hmm. Everyone's just come, oh, that was the best thing I've ever done. Oh, my God, I'm scared. But there's the best thing. And then they come off and then they're like, two years later, they're riding waves or they're paddling rivers or they're riding paddleboarding in Fiji. You know, it, literally paddleboarding can and will change your life if you let it. So just do it. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I think for me as well, in terms of that, like, you know, someone just sat there, maybe in a job that they kind of okay with, you know, just chipping along, thinking, what's next? And everyone has that, you know, I think everyone goes through that phase of, what should I be doing? Is this what yeah. I'm going to be doing in my life? And I ask that question, you know, and I'm not the oracle on, on like, knowing that, you know, where I am. It just, all I would say on that is, you probably, if you're, if you're so passionate about it, then actually, very few people will be as passionate about it as you are. You know, like I find it crazy that we're doing this podcast and I'm going around Australia talking about inflatable paddleboards because to me, that's just, I've just kind of grown into that world and yeah. developed in that world, you know? And so it's very odd to then stand in front of people like in, in a shop later on and start talking about paddleboards because then everyone's like, wow, that's cool. And I'm like, is it? I don't know, but it's just the passion. So if you've got passion for something, that don't assume that everyone else is just as passionate and can do it like you can. You can, if you're going to do it in a unique way don't try and copy someone else don't try and be someone else if you're passionate about it, it will, you'll find a way in that so yeah enjoy it I think great advice from both of you so we've got to get out there in the front of the shop George and James thanks so much thanks, for your time yeah, this afternoon so you've had a lot of fun in the water I hope you enjoy the rest of your journey across the you going across the Nullarbor back to Perth or? I'm not driving this time <laughs> no, I'm not doing that again not for a while anyway off to Adelaide and then onwards after there safe trip back to the UK George how long are you in Australia for? only a few days like James says World Safety Conference for a few days on our Red Rescue project and then uh, yeah back on over yeah cool I hope to get over to the head office there one day I 
I said, when I lived in London, I said I'm going to come back here every year because I just loved it that much living there. And yeah, there is a real buzz that you talked about before with London. So, there you go, reason but to. lo and behold, I haven't been back in 15 years. So, <laughs> don't blame me. Yeah, I've, I've got an excuse to get back. So, ah, always welcome. Doors always. After we've sold hundreds of red paddle boards over the summer and next year, we'll get back. So, thanks again for your time today. And yeah, good luck for the rest of 2022 and beyond. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, gents.